Welcome to SEL, the Subject, Composition and Photography Podcast. My name is Rob from RobNonPhoto.com and this is episode 241 in uh, my journey through the wonderful world of photography. Well, ha- thanks everybody for uh, downloading the podcast or maybe you're watching this on YouTube on the, on the RobNonPhoto.com site. Um, hopefully the podcast is kind of slipping into a little bit of a more regular um, time schedule than it than it has been doing. I've been trying to do it. I was kind of down to like once a month, but I'm trying to do one every two to three weeks. So um, um, if uh, if that fits in better, you know, please let me know. And one of the things I really like is when people send me emails with questions or suggestions or ideas for the podcast as well, because that's more um, stuff uh, for me to chew over and come up with uh, ideas uh, to make the. Uh, podcast a little bit more interesting. So what have I been up to over the last few weeks? Well, I've kind of, um, as you'll probably remember, I probably talked about this in the last podcast, I picked up a ticket for the historic dockyard over in Portsmouth for really cheap on Amazon Local. Um, I think it was £25 for a pair of tickets and for £25 you can go back to the historic dockyard as many times as you like over a year um, to visit the different attractions and there's HMS Victory, you know, uh, Nelson's flagship, there's HMS Warrior 1860, there's the Mary Rose, um, there's all the stuff in the dockyard, the museums, um, there's the Explosion Museum, which is just around the corner from us here, and there's the Submarine Museum in Gosport as well, and there's the Royal Marines Museum in Eastney in Portsmouth, so it's great value for money, and I thought, well, what a better place to go out and check stuff out and take photographs, because... You don't feel as odd when you wander around there taking photographs because lots of people are doing it, and it's you know there's interesting subjects and challenging situations as well. You imagine like trying to take photographs in the Victory where it's very very dark and not allowed to use flash, uh, very very cramped. But the kind of things I've been doing is a few weeks ago I did the Victory and I took my forty uh, mil Canon f two point eight lens to kind of check that out. But I did a, a photo walk to HMS Warrior just taking my Canon six hundred D with the nifty 50 with the f1.8 because that that camera has spent an awful lot of time just sat in my um one of my camera bags and i haven't really used it that much i dig it out to do portraits every now and again and the odd video with my 600d because you know it's got fantastically small depth of field and it lets in loads of light but i always kind of considered it a little bit too long for general walk around use because although 50 millimeters was the standard for um, film at 35mm cameras on a crop sensor body like my 600D, it's more, well you times it by, I think it's 1.6 you times it by, don't you, on a Canon. And so it's more like, um, what's that, uh, it's like a 75, almost an 80mm lens, which is pretty pretty telephoto, it's not very wide angle at all, but I thought, I'm going to go over to the Warrior and uh, see what I can come up with. And I'll tell you what, it was a real eye-opener. I was very surprised at how many good-looking photos I captured with the 50 because it was forcing me to, you know, zoom in closer. It was kind of forcing me, well, not zoom in, it was forcing, it automatically looks closer. It gets you closer into the scene. I think a lot of the time when we've got our kit lenses on, we've got our wide uh, zooms on, we spend an awful lot of time at 18 millimeters, don't we, or 17 millimeters. Um, and we get all this scene in, and the photos look, and the scene looks very dramatic to us, I think, when we look through the viewfinder or we look at them on the back of our camera. 
But when you when you've got them home and you look at them, they tend to look a little bit postcardy because you know you fitted everything in. You know, um, and often great photographs are more about what you leave out than what you put in. And a 50 millimeter, especially on a crop sensor body, kind of does that automatically for you because you can't do a wide angle. You know, you've got to concentrate on the smaller things. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed using it. Unlike the time with the 40 mil, there wasn't really anything else going on because you might remember I talked about how when I took the 40 mil to the dockyard, it was HMS Illustrious's um, paying off day. And there was air, you know, air displays, and just having the 40 mil really restricted me. But that on that particular day, it didn't. And uh, the 50 mil was great because, as I say, it forces you to to choose uh, a segment of the scene in a way that you don't have to when you've got a got a wide angle zoom on. And obviously, with the low light capability of having an f 1.8 lens, where I could open up all the way, meant that I could shoot. Um, uh, in the darker areas of the ship a lot more easily um, than I, I could have done if I'd had my f3.5 kit lens so yeah I was re really really impressed with it kind of kind of fell back in love with the 50 1.8 um, not saying that it would be become my walk around lens because there are times when you do need that extra width of your, your zoom I think if you haven't really tried it you can um, simulate having a 50 just by taking your kit zoom and just zooming out all the way so it's a 55mm or, or 50 and try and spend a morning or a couple of hours just taking photographs at that focal length and see the difference it makes when it forces you to, to just choose sec segments of the scene rather than the whole thing. Um, just take a quick uh, drink. Another um, oh, cool thing that I got over the last couple of weeks um, you'll see this if you're watching this on YouTube but obviously not if you're listening to the podcast I'll have to describe it a lot of the time I write to companies um, and I say to them hi my name is Rob from RobinFoto.com you know I've got a podcast I've got a website I've got quite a few um, videos on YouTube and I'd really like to review your fill in the blanks and every now and again I send out a load of emails because you know I can't afford to buy lots of different things and if suppliers can send me stuff to review Happy days. And I sent um, a few email, emails to a few bad ma bag manufacturers, and they're um, going to be uh, getting back to me, hopefully. But the company that um, responded straight away, and I'm talking like a couple of hours later, was Think Tank Photo. You've probably heard of the name, and they do some higher-end camera bags. And I was especially interested in looking at their camera bags that don't look like camera bags because I don't know about you I mean you know I love my low pro photo runner and I've got a couple of low pro backpacks and they're great but they do look like camera bags and if ever I was going on a photo walk say around London or Paris or any sort of urban area I might be a little bit nervous about people would see me with this and they think right there's a few grand's worth of camera in that camera bag let's go and get him so I was very interested in um, think tanks a uh, retrospective range and if you look in this on the video you'll see that this is the bag here. Um, it's made of like a, like a brushed cotton in a kind of a bluey grey uh, colour. And the feedback I've had off everybody who's seen it is it doesn't look like a camera bag. The feedback has been um, it looks like a man bag. Um, it looks like a baby bag, you know, the stuff that you carry all your nappies and stuff like that in, um, which is fine by me because that's the whole point. It's incredibly lush. I just love <laughs> feeling it. It feels so different from a vinyl uh, camera bag. Um, it's huge by the way the retrospective 30 well let me step back a bit so I went on um, what did I, I think what I did was yeah I sent them an email and said look any chance you could send me um, 
semi. I think I was looking at the retrospective uh, ten or one of the smaller packs, and, and um, the chap emailed me back from Think Tank Photo and said, "Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, go on the website, pick pick a bag, and you know, we'll send it to you." So I went on the website. And I was kind of looking. He was trying to gauge because you know I, I'm. I'm not a street photographer, but I wander around taking photographs of things that catch my eye, which is often in an urban environment. So the camera kit I take, I have to carry it with me all the time. It's not like I'm, I can put it down and take a photograph and go back to it, like if you're in a in a studio situation. So um, um, so I was looking at different bags, and I was trying to decide, because my photo run, my low-pro photo run, I can only fit my 600D with a kit lens, uh, the 75-300 zoom, and a few accessories like batteries and filters and, and wipes. That's it. I can't put anything else in it at all. And I really want to have with me things like a flash, a flash cord, maybe my 518, maybe my 42.8, maybe things like my um, Zoom H1 handy recorder if I want to record some stuff that way. You know, lots more stuff. Um, and I was kind of looking. And then a little one of those little chat boxes pops up, you know, that you get on websites. Where quite often it's a robot that's come to talk to you. But it was a really helpful guy from Lowpro. And he said, all right, what are you looking at? And I said, he said, okay, so what kit have you got? And I listed it. And he said, okay, so what kit would you want to take with you at the time? And I kind of said, well, you know, a body, a few lenses, and probably a couple of flashes. And he went, whoa, 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 don't look at that one. You want to look at the, you want to look at the retrospective 30 because it's big enough. Right, I'm just going to have to pause. Okay, sorry about that. It was just um, somebody picking up... Uh, works higher cast so um yeah so anyway so i was on um the website this little chat box popped up and this chat was saying no 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 you don't want to look at that. you want to look at the retrospective 30 because it'll fit what you want in it really helpful guy so i said yeah no problem and uh, lo and behold a few days later what should arrive through the post but the retrospective 30 and i've got to say he was exactly right the guy from uh from think tank photo it really uh, is a great bag um it's got some really nice features in the fact like like i'm opening and closing it now but if you listen to the podcast you cannot hear the rip of velcro can you that's because it has these special flaps that cover up the velcro when you want it to so that it's like got a silence opening you can fit loads in this bag um the retrospective 30 definitely need it's a bag that demands respect um because you can very easily overload it for street type photography. You know, you could fit in easily two camera bodies, I don't know, four flash, probably two or three flashes, uh, three lenses, batteries, loads and loads of stuff. You know, loads and loads of stuff. You, this bag is big enough to kind of say, uh, take to, say you were doing a studio shoot or a location shoot where you were using flashes and you were using different multiple lenses. You could pack everything in this bag and you could take it with you. Now, you wouldn't want to walk around with that bag on your shoulder all day because it would be too heavy. Um, but you could take it there, you know, take the, your camera out, shoot, 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 and, and then uh, and, and select stuff. It's more than big enough for that. It's got loads of dividers. It's really soft. There's loads of... I love compartments. There's so many little compartments inside it. Now, I will do a proper review of it because... These bags aren't cheap. Um, I think the Retrospective 30 goes for about £150 on Amazon.co.uk. And so I want to give it a really good run for its money. So I'm taking it to work with me every day with my camera in, which is what I normally do. I've done some field trial reviews. Well, one on YouTube. There's probably going to be another one going up in the next few days where I'm just wandering around with it. Just get a, to get a feel for the bag and what I can put in, into it. Because remember, because it's sort of heavyweight cotton, this is a heavier bag to start off with anyway. And for me, you know, because of the type of photography I do, where I am wandering around taking photographs, um, the lighter the bag, the lighter the kit I've got with me, the longer I can stay out shooting. And 
the more likely I am to try different different shots. Whereas if I've got too much stuff with me, then I'm likely after a while to get a bit tired and, and, and go home. So you really do have to exercise restraint with the kit you put in. So at the moment, I'm down to my bare bones in the bag in the fact that I've got my 600D with the R strap on, with the 18 to 55 kit lens. I've got the 75 to 300 IS in it. And this is the extra bit, the bit that I wanted. I've got my, my flash, my big flash in there. Um, and then I've got my spare batteries. I've got uh, an off-camera flash cord. I've got various wipes. I've got my uh, my filters, um, my camera man manual, all that sort of stuff. And it fits nicely. And it's not too heavy because it does have a lovely fat strap on as well. And I think that's probably a realistic amount of kit that you can throw in this sort of bag and walk around with all day, with it on your shoulder all day. Um, because you don't, it's not too heavy, you don't get that tired. Um, but I think just a couple more things in there and it does become a little bit more difficult. And <laughs> again, the reason why this bag needs respect is because the strap is so comfortable, you can load it up with too much stuff and you put it on you think well that's really comfortable that's fantastic and you go wandering around and sort of three hours later you're like you know you take it off and you're like omg i've been lugging around too much because you don't feel it digging into your shoulder um, but overall i think this is a fantastic bag you know if you want if you're looking for like the one camera bag that you're going to use on photo walks when just wandering around and a camera bag that's big enough to kind of expand to the rest of your kit when you need it to and, and one that you don't want to look like a proper uh, a proper camera bag, you know, the classic black camera bag, then the retrospective 30 could well be for you. Um, big, big fan. Hopefully what I'm going to do is once I've done the review and got it up, I'm going to ask them, see if they can, um, you know, may maybe if they'll, they'll send me one of the slightly smaller bags as well. Because I love this type of camera bag that doesn't look like a camera bag, but looks like a messenger bag. Or as I say, as some people say, it looks like a... You know, a baby changing bag, <laughs> but that's that's fine by me. Um, what else have we got for today? I'm just checking that my microphone's recording. Yes. Um, oh yes, the Human Fragment book review by Michael Ernest Sweet. Um, Michael contacted me through YouTube and then Twitter, I think, um, and he's a uh, a photographer from um, Canada who's just published his first first full-length book of street shots. And um, what I'd like to do next is really a little bit of a review about this. Now, I have done a review on YouTube of this, so you know, some of this might sound familiar. Um, but it really is very, very nice. And you can find the book on Amazon.co.uk and Amazon.com. Um, just look for The Human Fragment by Michael that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Ernest, E-I-N-E-S-T, Sweet, S-W-E-T. Or if you look for Brooklyn Arts Press, you can order it from their website at www.brooklynartspress.com. I mean, to give you an idea, if I just read you a couple of the um, things off the back, uh, Jay Mizell says, a fa very famous photographer, Michael Ernest Sweet's photos are not sweet at all. They are rich and investigative, with a unique voice, that speaks of presence, mystery, and selectivity, a high personal vision. Um, really good. Uh, Bruce LeBruce says, uh, like a modern-day Ouija, Michael Ernest Sweet proves conclusively that photography is not quite yet a lost art. Utilising composition, texture, and depth of field to capture his public and, frankly, open subjects, his work makes you long for a time when photographers were valued for their style and eye. 
And what you get in here is a selection of street photographs taken from um, around the streets of New York City and the boardwalks of Coney Island. And what Michael is incredibly good at is, you know how I was talking earlier about the, the 50 millimeter forcing you on a crop sensor body to really just take, take a chunk out of the scene? Well, that's what he does. Um, and, you know, what you don't get is full length portraits. You get slices of people in time um metaphorically and also physically you know you don't get whole heads heads get chopped off bodies get chopped off um the high contrast black and white images um taken very very close a lot of the time uh, very very effective and kind of <laughs> they make we me want to get out there you know grab a plane to new york city and get out or get out get out there on the streets taking photographs um i don't think i'm brave enough to get this close because Michael's using like a 28mm lens, and to use a 28mm lens for street photography, if you want to fill the frame, you've got to get close. And ew, I don't know, I think I'd probably get a punch in the face if I did this around Portsmouth. <laughs> Definitely use a, a longer lens. But if you like photographers like uh, Bruce Gilden or Gary Winogrand, you'll really enjoy Michael's work. But even if you're into more of the Henri Cartier-Bresson end of the uh, street photography kind of landscape or spectrum i think there's stuff here for you definitely because um he's not there is a certain um lyricism is is, is, is that can we use that word on uh, photographs a certain balance and imbalance to his photos that you know that i really like and you kind of you you get the feel of the place you know that that's what you kind of uh, get from these photos so I think it's a great book and he teaches us a lot of things too because you know we look you look at Michael's photos and he's challenging us you know to get closer you know do we go back to the same places again and again to make sure that we get the most out of them um, and do too often do we stand too far back and not in there with our subjects to really um, to really capture the essence of what's going on so anyway um, the Human Fragment by Michael Ernest Sweet. Highly recommended. Grab it. I think there's an electronic version on BrooklynArtPress.com as well that you can download like a PDF. Um, but obviously, the, it's always good to have the uh, soft cover because it's uh, a nice object in and of itself. Right. So let's finish off with some questions. First one's from Alan Martin. Hi Rob, uh, I just watched your very informative YouTube video about calibrating displays with the Spider 4 Pro. Uh, right, brilliant, thanks Alan. Um, I have a similar setup, however I got a MacBook Pro along with an LG monitor as well. What I'd like to accomplish is to have both the laptop and the external monitor displaying the exact same colour without any cast or white point variation. I don't care about printing, my business is with the web only. I heard that I should be looking for the Color Monkey display device as opposed to the Spider 4 Pro as it has this match monitors feature which would try to approximate the colors as much as possible going around the delay's physical specifications. I've read that many people calibrate two displays exactly the same conditions but their colors won't match because displays are different at hardware level obviously. Do you have any additional info or recommendations on this matter? Best regards Alan. Well brilliant Thank glad you enjoyed the video Alan and thanks for your question. I think you know, this is this is a really interesting question, and it kind of goes to the heart of color management with digital photo, well, film photography as well. 
in the fact that no two devices are are ever the same and i'm not really just talking about two different display devices from different manufacturers we're talking about uh, even if you have the same manufacturer different models will display differently and even the same model that different batches will display differently and as displays change over time they'll display colors differently at all and so basically every single monitor that we have in, um, and printers for that for, for that matter or televisions will display different parts of the kind of color spectrum the color gamut um, and that really does depend on the technical specifications of the of the monitor how old it is um, and all this sort of stuff and I think the best you can do really is to profile both of them. Now I've got no experience of the Color Monkey uh, system, but with the Spider 4 Pro system, what I found is that um, if I calibrate my desktop monitor, my um, laptop monitor, and I also calibrate my larger LG uh, standalone monitor, although the LG monitor displays more of the color gamut, it's a better monitor. In other words, they do look pretty similar. You know, they're, they're close enough. Um, it's close enough for government work, as we might say. Um, and I think <laughs> another critical thing is the viewing angle as well for the monitors as well. You look at a monitor from the from the wrong angle. So you've got two monitors set up, and one slightly, you know, there are angles to each other. Depending on the angle of your head, the colours will change. It's amazing what difference a few degrees can make. So dim the lights, try and get the viewing angles exactly the same. And if you're using a Color Monkey or a Spider 4 Pro, you know, just profile both and you'll be surprised. They'll, they'll be pretty close. They'll be good enough. They'll be good enough, especially for web work, where you have absolutely no idea what people have done to their monitors on their laptops or their phones or their, their, their anything that people are looking at. But as long as you're pretty close with yours, you're, if they, uh, it's going to look okay on their devices. So I hope that helps. Um, this one's from Jonathan. Hi Rob, I saw your video on YouTube about the MG5550 printer. I would like to know how has the printer been holding up? Has it suffered reliability issues? I'm looking to, uh, into this printer or the Brother DCP 4110DW. Well, hi Jonathan. Um, the uh, the 5550, the Canon 5550 printer is still going strong. No issues so far. Um, I'll have to admit, I'm not really that heavy user printing out lots of photographs. I probably print out you know, maybe one or two a week. Um, Oliver uses a lot more to print out his schoolwork. Um, we use it for a copier quite a lot, actually. It's so useful just having um, the printer there because the 5550s are three in one, so you can just you don't have to connect it to a computer or anything. You just turn it on, pop up the the scanner lid, put a piece of paper in, hit copy, and you've got a color or a black and white copy. How cool is that? Um, and the only thing, the only maintenance I've had to do is obviously change the the ink cartridge every now and again and I think I've run the um, the head alignment routine once, but that's really easy because it's a scanner as well. You just tell it you want to do a head alignment. It prints out a piece of paper that you then put into the scanner and it just checks it for alignment and makes the changes automatically. It's really good. And then Jonathan went on to say, thanks for the reply. Do you have any idea of the printing costs for color and black and white with the MG5550? Um, well, when I did the review a few months ago, I never worked out a purely black and white printing cost for the MG550, but by going off the costs of A4 colour paper, well, A4 uh, for good quality printer paper, and all the cartridges, um, I worked out that an A4 colour print, each one would cost you approximately, including ink prices and paper prices, about £1.80 or US $3 each. Um, 
which you know is pretty good for home printing. Remember, A4 is really big. You know, if you compare an A4 to a 6x4 or 7x5, it's significantly bigger, and you're probably going to print out lots of your photos at 7x5 or 6x4. Um, but you know, A4s look nice because that's the biggest sort of print you can get out of the 5550, and I think big prints are fantastic. But there you go. So A4 prints, one pound eighty or US three dollars. Okay, so that's it for the questions. That's it really for this week. Um, hope it's been a useful and interesting podcast. Again, if you've got any ideas or suggestions or comments, please email me, scalespeeder at gmail.com. Um, thanks to everybody for going into the Flickr group. We've got the assignment, haven't we, at the moment, um, about, uh, I'm trying to think what it is now, it's something to do with from a faraway place. Uh, I still haven't done anything. My apologies for that. Thanks for everybody for visiting robnonfoto.com and commenting. Um, thanks for everybody for looking at my photos. Thanks to everybody for putting their photos in the Flickr group. Actually, such great work going on in there. Thanks everybody for looking at the stuff on YouTube and commenting and favoriting. That is so good. And uh, obviously for watching the video. And thank you very much if you've downloaded and listening to the podcast too. That's it from me. My name's Rob from robnonfoto.com. And hopefully I'll see you again soon.